This is Punk Theology, the podcast. Episode 11 is a part two of our discussion on nihilism from last week, carrying over to uh, this podcast here. So we cut that one in half so it wouldn't be two hours long. Uh, Tell us what you think. Punk Theology Podcast at gmail.com or... You can get in touch with us at punktheology.com. There is links to the Facebook page, the Twitter address, and our email right there. So you don't have to wear out your keyboard typing Punk Theology Podcast. But for those of you who do and sacrifice your fingertips and your time to type all those characters at gmail.com, what is it? It's Punk Theology Podcast at gmail.com. If you do that, we would love to uh, read those emails on the show. We'd love to hear from you, good, bad, or ugly. We are looking for uh, do a segment on email responses to the podcast. So, kicking it off, here you go. Episode 11. see the real question where, where where i think you know because we can geek out on a lot of this stuff and be like super masturbatory with yeah, you yeah. know theology and physics but but the crux of the question though and i and i'm i'm really not interested in arguing theology so much right. i'm really not because uh, some things like you and steve have said like i can tell i disagree with you guys passionately about theology yeah. or, 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 or views of the Bible, which is fine. Mm-hmm. What I'm really interested in, though, is, is the question that you were engaging in, and I, and I would say like on a heartfelt level, just looking into your eyes, is what does it do for you? What does the belief do? How does it function? And that's the worthwhile conversation. That's yes. the worthwhile place where it goes. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. You don't have this faster than an athletic sex. Sex and death. <laughs> Two things that kind of drive me a lot. <laughs> no, nope, nobody's sitting next to nuclear waste where the Geiger counter is going off the chart and they're like, well, at least it's going to decay. <laughs> no, however, no, we do though. I mean, we do. I did. Come on, I've been sitting with this... I've been sitting next to the fucking China Syndrome for a lot of years. What's the China Syndrome? Years. What's that? It's a the, nuclear plant. It was a nuclear plant. Oh. The, the, the core was exposed. Okay. And yeah. So, in nuclear plants, they flood it with water because water's going to protect all the radiation from the Is that why you have three nipples? I'm kidding. Go on. Sorry. Uh, but I've been, but caustically, I've been sitting next to the nuclear plant, absorbing all of the radiation for the past 20 years. I've been doing it willingly. So I've been trying to sit next to it as close as I fucking can. So the the reason an absolute is caustic is because it will always steal your happiness and your contentment. Yeah. It will if so. So this is where. But if you believe it's an absolute, or if you have faith in the absolute. So let's go back to Adam and Eve. Okay. Okay. I wanted to bring Steve into this, because Steve brought up a thing last week about anger and caring that that is really interesting. I see the world in layers. Yeah. But anyway, go go ahead. So let's, we'll come back to that. I've re-explored the the story of Adam and Eve. Okay. Okay. So what if before, or what if Adam and Eve before the fall, or whatever you want to call that, just did not have the power to conceive of absolutes. They didn't have the part of their brain that was capable of concepts of absolutes, right? 
Yeah. And what if the tree of the knowledge of good and evil wasn't the knowledge, tree of the knowledge of good and evil? It was the tree of the knowledge of perfect and imperfect. Before that point, they had no concept of any absolutes. Right. And God had told them, uh, if you eat of that tree, you will die. And he might as well have said, if you eat of that tree, you will blah, 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 blah. Because die was a meaningless word. Yeah. Right? Did not have any meaning because they couldn't conceive of absolutes. And Eve goes up to that tree and for the first time engages in absolute. The part of her brain woke up that could conceive of absolutes and she said, fuck, that is scary. I need something to fight that. And she turned and she looked at God and said, God can fight that. And then she conceived of a second absolute. But it was not a second scary, imperfect absolute. It was a second perfect absolute. And then she looked at herself. Because what immediately happened after, after they ate of the fruit is they were ashamed. Because all of a sudden they had a perfect and they had themselves. And the shame... What did God say first? Who told you you were naked? Right. <laughs> right. And, like, and maybe he was asking, how did you conceive of the idea of naked? You should not know what naked is. Yeah. You should not know what death is who broke you. And ever since then, we have been broken because we refuse to not deal with the absolutes. We refuse to just live in the color. We refuse to just live in reality. And we must always think black, white, perfect, imperfect, and it makes us miserable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that dualistic black and white thing. Because we cannot ever get there. That is not the reality we inhabit. We only inhabit the reality of now. Like if you understand black and white, you understand that black is just nothing. There's no light hitting your eyes, so your brain puts a, a thing there. And white is the same thing. White is your brain freaking out. It doesn't actually see why the color white. It just sees static, and your brain has to make something up to put that there. There is no black. There is no white in this reality. So why do we insist on saying that there is? Well, when you get out of bed in the morning and you do your life, I think that's when we engage in what you know, what the philosophy of, of Marianne Talbot would say, in faith. Because the only reason you do your life, you do, you're going to get up and go to work tomorrow. But why so does faith need to happen in absolute terms? So this it is something Chuck and I was. Well, it it I look at this as there's there's two different scenarios we're dealing with though. There is the here and the now, and then there's the infinite forever. The here and the now, you're right. There is no absolutes. It's broken. Mm-hmm. Correct. It, I mean, it's that's absolute. It is broken. Right. Uh, there's no fixing it. There's no going back. However, there is a infinite future. Mm, that's a faith construct. Yeah, that's an absolute faith construct, and that that concept does not. So, it cannot be experienced. So it must be. Which is where the yes conception. No, that's where the faith is. Right. The belief, it, there's no belief in it. That's the faith portion of it. And yes, that's where I think the faith fills that gap. Because if there isn't, if faith there isn't, is what you're standing on. Faith if there is isn't an infinite ground, future, is, then who fucking cares about today? Why don't you just go to the bank? Exactly. You need more money. And that's where I lived. I right? used to live. You really think I wasn't though? afraid of. I, yes. I wasn't. I wasn't afraid of death. So that's where people start when they first start encountering this. That is classic nihilism. Yeah. <laughs> that, so yeah. that. Yeah. that it, well, the humorous part is the. It's funny. It goes, it goes to different places. So so everybody must come to the point of humorous nihilism when they're engaging this. And that is square one. And then they expand from there. But that is what, that square one is what most Christians bounce off of and won't even engage in. Is let's explore the idea that nothing fucking matters. And they won't even go to square one. That's a lot of... Arthur, you lost your faith. Are you like uh, snorting blow off hookers' uh, tits and robbing banks? And no. This stops you. This leads me to what Mike McCartney talks about, and this is what you're talking about. So, so one of the things where where that kind of faith, where you're like faith fills in the gap, there's actually a thing called God of the gaps. Yeah. And yeah. it's where you instill belief only. 
where the gaps are. And if you do that long enough and you examine it closely enough, it'll just fall apart because your God literally fills in the nothing of what of, of the difference between what is and what you want to be. That's the and you shove God right there. there. And, and, and that ends up being, like, so again, goes back to falsifiability. If God isn't falsifiable, then what is he? He's nothing. The gap for me is the relational portion of it. There's no, there's no real, real relationship between me and the nothingness. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about this no forever, relationship the between, infinite forever, right? So here's where I'm really going to piss people off. There's no relationship between you and God. That evangelical phrase is laughably new and hilariously funny. You don't go to the coffee shop with him. He doesn't tell you what to do. You have no relationship with your God. That's weird, though. We're talking about spirit. You have a relationship with a me, relationship with him, you. in Using you have sets. a relationship with your ex-wife. Using Seth's set, you know, analogy, are you not of God? No. Yeah. I don't think so. Okay. But you're asking the atheist in the room. <laughs> but, but my point is, people use that phrase <clears throat> relationship all the time with God in a way that they would never use with another human being on earth. If you had a relationship with another human being that was like your relationship with God, you would not call that person a friend. I would. You never see them. You never talk to them. They never tell you anything. Or you talk at them, but they never respond. Well, come on, man. I've seen God. I've talked with God. I've even maybe walked with God. And that's weird. All right? But to go back to, to the nihilism thing, I think where... Maybe I rub up against it, and it bothers me some, is when I was younger, and I was so anti-authority that even death was something that I would flirt with, and and I did. Um, I didn't give a fuck. Like, I, I didn't give a That's where I wanted to engage Steve a little bit, because I got to the place where I didn't give a fuck so much that I didn't care whether I lived or died, and if I died, maybe that would even be better, and if God was real... Did he even care about me? Obviously not, because of the way my life turned out. So and, and all of the, the Christian stuff that I learned was just, it just solidified this God. <clears throat> I'm in their hell, right? I just learned somewhere about 17 that I'm in, I'm, I'm in their God's hell. So might as well go for it, you know? And it's not that, it's not that I just stopped believing or I believe that I was just totally depraved or whatever. I just, you know, I just like, let's just burn this thing down. If there's no relationship, that word relationship is important. Because if there's no relationship in this, I am totally content and totally comfortable with watching the whole fucker burn. Well, I I find myself, and I want to really want to talk to Steve. But I just want to interject real quick because I see myself somewhere plotted between Arthur uh and Chuck is, I, I what Arthur's saying makes some sense to me, like logically, like I get exactly what he's saying. I really right. do intellectually. But there's this, and I've talked about it before. There's this thing in me. There's this energy that I feel, that yes. I perceive, that like this antenna that detects a signal. I don't know. I call it Jesus. I call it love. I call it God because, well, that's who my parents were. I was born in North America. I, I like I'm intellectually honest enough to say that. If I was born in, in Nepal, I might call it something else. I don't know. But it has a Jesus-y type flavor and feel to me. But that's how I identify love and God. And, and that relationship, for me, isn't like a communicative back and forth uh, imaginary friend I'm talking to. I mean, maybe it is. I allow for that possibility also. Again, I'm trying to be intellectually honest. But it's just trying to interact with that energy, that love that I feel, that I sense, that I perceive, that I sense it in relationships and and in, in familial context, like with my wife or my kids. Um, so that's not very intellectually satisfying on some level. Like I fully... You can't prove it. I fully admit that. I fully right. do. Yeah, it's not intellectually satisfying on some level. Yeah. But the relationship isn't like in a, Jesus, you're my best friend, let's go out for coffee, as much yeah, as no. it's like in a, I feel something, I sense something, I perceive something. 
Am I crazy? I don't know. Maybe. But, but there's that. I mean, is it okay to be crazy? Yes, so, maybe. Well, as long as you don't lose your mind. Because <laughs> I'm not here. However, oh. I do have a question. Though. Can I have can I have one thing before you do? And please don't lose your train of thought. Where the real question where, where I think, you know, because we can geek out on a lot of this stuff and be like super masturbatory with, yeah, you yeah. know, theology and physics. But but the crux of the question, though, and, I, and I'm, I'm really not interested in arguing theology so much. Right. I'm really not, because uh, there's some things like you and Steve have said, like I can tell I disagree with you guys passionately about theology yeah. or, 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 or views of the Bible, which is fine. Mm-hmm. What I'm really interested in, though, is, is the question that you were engaging in, and I, and I would say like on a heartfelt level, just looking into your eyes, is what does it do for you? What does the belief do? How does it function? And that's the worthwhile conversation. That's yes. the worthwhile place where it goes. Uh, so those are the two things I wanted to say is, is I, I can plot myself between Ar- Ar- Arthur and Chuck and I see myself plotted between y- you guys and kind of the ideas you're putting forth. But the real heart of it is I think that question that Derek's trying to get to is, is what does a belief do and is it good and should you hold on to it? Because maybe you don't have to. And I think that's where he's going. With, and that, that for me is an interesting conversation. But okay, what are you going to say? It, it's not just an interesting conversation interesting conversation it's an interesting way to live it too mm. I mean it's and I the conversations we've had on Messenger has been great because it's just letting me bounce your ideas off of my head exploring um, your beliefs yeah and it's just like exercise. wait a second like I've been doing this little tiny bits for a long time now I just haven't realized it right um, but the question I have though is so I also share this feeling of just yeah. Oh, no. And I call it Jesus. Yeah. It could be whatever it is. Totally. So how do you talk to the people that don't have that feeling? Well, then you, you, yes. <laughs> so then you engage in the opposite direction. You say, why do you want to believe that? And honestly, in my experience, it's because of some pretty deep trauma. Yeah. And, and let me explain how that looks. Yeah. <laughs> Let me explain how that looks. So maybe somebody in this room or listening has noticed this topic's triggered me a little bit. A little bit. I used to think I had a relationship with God. Okay. The last single thing I was convinced God told me to do, I didn't hear voices. I was just convinced in my Christian faith and in my life that my wife and I were going forward. The last thing God told me to do got my six-year-old daughter molested. Anybody want to feel that one? What if? And if and I will I will put the first person no. who says God has a good plan for my life no. on no. the floor. <laughs> I will I will <laughs> level them. Arthur, there isn't a field in the question. It's that fucking sucks. Yeah. Right. Yes. No. Yeah. And guess what? Yeah, and I don't believe in that relationship anymore because if that's what it looks like, it's bullshit. I'm I'm convinced I was a nutcase at that time rather than I had real faith. And I'll tell you what, I thought I had real faith from the age of 7 until the age of 37. And then I realized that I didn't. (coughs) Not anymore. Is it possible that you constructed a God over these years... Going to this Bible school, that you you shared that's a lot of theological fucked upness about that a, a God was constructed over time that told you that. I believe fairly standard Christian things, regardless of who my God was. Well, that's different than relationship. What if? Fairly standard Christian. I mean, what 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 other conviction of a relationship with God do you have other than being convicted that you have a relationship with God? There's a there's a weird un unprovable thing about this. I think the best the best example. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Let me put it this way. I was convinced I did. Right. Mm. I thought I was a Christian. I think about doing everything. So here's my here's my thing where I landed. I was sort of like Forrest Gump. Have you seen that that scene of Forrest Gump? Where the guy, Captain Dan, he has no legs. Angry at God. Goes out in the middle of the storm to die, screaming at God. Then he comes back just 
felt at peace. Now, was it because he was screaming at God and just maybe got a bunch of his feelings out or that he had some kind of connection? I know almost 100% of people who have wandered out into the woods who have done a Captain Dan-like thing that have had an encounter with the divine. Now, whether you, whatever you want to call that, it's real. And maybe that's a little challenge to you to embrace it, to go, you I, know, because I didn't give a fuck. I, I don't really consider myself an atheist. I consider myself an agnostic because I can't prove there is a God. Right. So, and, I, and I'm even semi-open to and pursuing the possibility that there is one, but I'm now three years into that and have pretty much rolled snake eyes the whole time, so I don't, I'll keep I waiting. I don't know, man. I think God is right there. But but here's and the thing. Never left here's me. the point. Even if I'm not right, the fact is that there are people that are delusionally walking through life thinking they have a relationship with God. I agree. Okay. Yeah, yeah no, without question. Totally. Yeah, I agree. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I'd totally. agree with you on that one. In fact, that might be the vast majority. Yeah, and I think that maybe well, that's where. And, I'm, and I want to challenge people that the historical view of Christianity does not include relationship. Yeah, it's that, is, that is a newfangled evangelical word. That is not church history. Yeah. We've just made that up and it makes us feel real good and it's super sellable and yeah. it works with American marketing. <laughs> but the reason I think it's sellable <laughs> is because there's some truth bullshit, though. There's some truth to it. When, um, ah, fuck, what's his name? Who did God say that all the... Oh, he's going to have a bunch of fucking kids. Abraham. Abraham. Is that not relationship? So the question is, in that God, story? the idea of relationship, especially in our culture, may be broken. Is yeah. the idea that God loves us an old idea? John? Uh, it's My understanding is it's relatively new is with the Jewish faith. Like um, The idea that God loves us. Yeah, that, that, that was a relatively new idea at the time. Uh, so was, was Jesus the first one to say that God loved us? Jesus was probably the first person to put forth that idea that God is Abba, you know? And that I mean, one got he, him killed? You, you had some echoes of it yeah. in, in, in the prophets, like pointing to this idea of God as like a, kind of like more of a, a father figure, but certainly Jesus that at the time was perceived as being extremely irreverent, you know? Yeah. Like, God is Abba, God is Dad. Like, what? So maybe again, the purpose of Jesus was to demonstrate God's imperfection. Because God would not be loving if he was perfect. Russ, you, you've talked about this a couple of times yeah. as far as the... <clears throat> God isn't the... Uh, what are you... The Sky? executioner. Um, and the, you know, when Jesus walked the earth and died on the cross, it was him, God submitting to our will. Because... Because yeah. in the absolutes, as far as there is no, you know, if you sin, you know, A happens, then consequences B. So if you sin, then you're damned to hell. And <clears throat> God comes down, lives his life, and submits to our will. Mm -hmm. There's love in that. Mm -hmm. And that's the relationship that I, you know, in the word relationship, Whatever. I mean, it's just like God. Semantic. I mean, it's come on. Universe, the fucking grass, whatever you want to call it. That's the relationship that I'm referring to. And I think we were talking about it before we started recording, too, is, is you, you were challenging me a little bit with the, the last week's podcast, editing that and feeling like I can't sleep until it's finished. I think that part of that piece of just letting it go has to do with the relationship with God. Because of God, God, it doesn't just say that God loves us. You know, the New Testament would say that God is love. The definition of love is God. So I think that that's part of when we get to that place where, and Seth talked about it, like what if the guy in traffic who's just being there or who's thrown out the idea of waiting, I think that's, that's a beautiful example <clears throat> of relationship with God, right? So something Chuck and I were exploring was the idea... Of does God have to have perfect love? You know, and I've thought about that. So, <clears throat> the this came up on Facebook, um, and so I googled it. Uh, there was a there's a lady at the church that posted uh, her 
youngest daughter had asked, what's the number before infinity? <laughs> well, shit, it's been a long time since I've been in those classes, so let's look it up. And it's uh, PSI, which is not pounds per square inch, because I thought that was humorous. <laughs> um, and so it's there's a an end number of whatever you're talking about, whether it's the blades of grass, the sand. So it's there's sand on the earth. There is a finite number of grains of sand. Right. Infinite is that plus one. So it's I have a total number that I need to have or have. The infinite is the I have one extra. And the perfectness to me for God's love is that he has the plus one. So he has to have X number, so a PSI number of love to give us or fulfill or cups to fill, whatever it is. It's a very engineering thing to say. Yes. Can you say <laughs> instead... He has one extra, which means he has infinite love to give. But we cannot engage that in this universe. Correct. So, so can you just say that God has all the love and God does not have the perfect love? No, he still has the perfect love because he still has a tangible number, which is complete, which is perfect. It's not infinite love now. It's one less than infinite. It's still perfect. But it's not... Perfect is withholding it. I, I would take issue with the question of itself, like, does God have perfect love when God is love? The way I think. Yeah. So again, we've, we've reverted back to discussing absolutes. I wanted to address Steve, though, because it's, it's, cause this is coming up in my brain. It keeps coming up. So why are you angry, Steve? What you shared was the anger, and that's a big part of your story, was engaging that anger. And I guess my question, I had a few questions, but one of them was, do you think that part of your like Christian upbringing sort of fueled that anger? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. was it because of the not being able to well, talk I, about it? Or it's like it's like that post I put up today from Seth's book because I'm rereading it again, and he says that uh, the shame-driven interpretation of the character of God allows us to maintain residence in our prison, control our pain without fully confronting or experiencing it. Me in this prison, God is the warden. If we can show good behavior or achieve purity or what we think of as purity, then we might possibly move into a better cell. Perhaps parole even awaits us where we can walk the streets and claim a certain type of freedom. The true freedom, the kind that Christ speaks of when truth is lived out, is out of reach. I live that. And we are told that we should be okay with this by so many of the people that claim to speak the truth about God. See, that... Was that encapsulated? And I, the thing I, the things I throw up there on Facebook are the things that just jump into my heart and start ripping things right. apart. And that was me. That that was my anger. Is that I was always told not to be angry, but yet I was. And like Seth said last week, which I never really thought of it, was that anger was in it was an energy. So why was I angry? I was angry because I didn't feel like I was meeting some expectation. Be that God. Be that my parents, be that my friends, be that my family or my brothers and sisters, whoever it was, I wasn't meeting an expectation. And it's in the last months that I've come to the belief that God's expectations aren't mine. You know, we expect more, I think, this is one of the things I think Brandon Manning preaches, yeah. is that we expect more of ourselves than God expects of us. Big mm time. -hmm. And that's the freeing part for me. And that's how I have now begun to put on the, that lens as I read the Bible. Is I'm not, Jesus got killed because he was going against the culture. That you're loved. The religious culture. The religious culture. Yeah. Because the, you're loved. The religious culture. You were culture. supposed to be in the love business. Yeah. The religious culture of absolutes. The yeah. people he came up the hardest against were the Pharisees, yes. pursuing perfection. That was their goal. Yes. And Jesus said, fuck that. Yeah, but what Why? did he preach? He preached love. Right. Not to the Pharisees. No, no, no. That's hard everything else. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that's where, I guess that's where it's just been hitting with me lately. So, and so let's get, what is love? What if love is just the acceptance yes. of all the flaws? Yes. Yeah. Isn't that it? So what love is, again, love is just refusing to engage the absolute 
and accepting the reality of what it is. Yeah. Correct. That's my, well, that was my second question for Steve, was the caring part. Like when you said, I just don't, I ran out of fucks, like Arthur was saying, like there's a very, there's a very spiritual, relational thing to that. Like that's a relational paradigm because it's not that you're cold hearted, right? Right. There's, a, there's not a coldness in that not caring. Right. So unpack that a little bit. Like how, how does your um, not giving a fuck feel when it comes to loving your your daughter, your family, your your daughters, <laughs> you know, your community, us. I mean, the fact that you're here is awesome. I mean, an ex-pastor through some of the stuff you've been through, that's why I kind of gravitated towards you and Mark Gardner. It's like, wow, this guy actually wants to explore these things. So I guess that's my question. Is, is in the uncaring, where where's the love that you've seen through your... Your life experience. I think the uncaring would be for the standard, the what I was brought up under. Right. I didn't grow up attending church. You know, I went to a preschool Bible study at Cascade High School when I was a freshman. That was in 1971. It was right at the end of the of the big Jesus movement when yeah. in the 60s, and uh, we brought a couple of they brought a couple of off-campus guys in to play songs that were more like the songs I listened to on the radio than what I had heard growing up in the church. And that attracted me because of that love, that acceptance of the flaws. And that's that's a beautiful uh, example. That's what it... I've never heard that before, but that just resonates in my heart. Is That is exactly it. Well, for me, that not caring is I don't care what I was... The atmosphere, which or the culture that I was brought up in, because it wasn't working. Right. There was no love. And my heart transformation, and that's one of the things that so pisses me off about the church, is that we try to adjust the behavior to transform the heart. And for me, the heart as it's transformed has adjusted my behavior. Not that I don't still screw up. But I don't want to speak that way. So I'm going <clears> to <throat> ask the exact same said, question to you. The Bible's so, broken. Yeah. <laughs> How do you talk? Yes, but but that's my point though. Like most churches rely on the Bible, and the Bible doesn't speak that way. Yes, the the Bible speaks about judging sin, about mm-hmm. not punishment. And sin. the Bible. So my the, the belief that I have currently about the Bible was that then this is this is explained in the Bible, right? So that when God was working with the Jews, He gave them clear directions, and they fucked it up. He gave them clear directions, they fucked it up. He gave them clear directions, he fucked it up. When he gave people the Bible, he gave them clear words, and they fucked it up. That's my belief. Mm-hmm. He gave them the, he gave them truth, and they chose to write it, write it in absolutes. Well, yeah, that might be a little bit different. I think that people ascribe things to God within their context erroneously that weren't necessarily from God. Those are a way of making sense of God. They attributed things to him that weren't necessarily from him. And now we're supposed to make sense of it. Isn't that the same, kind of the same thing? Maybe God gave them. It's a subtle difference. But. God, God spoke, and their brains were not capable okay. of understanding what God was actually saying. When so when s- they wrote it down, it got mistranslated. When you say truths, <laughs> are you talking absolutes? Or are you talking No, I'm talking, I'm talking love. So the opposite of absolute is love. We teach in the church that love is a concept. Love is not a concept. Love is ultimate reality because it is the complete acceptance of actual reality that we experience, that we touch, that we feel, that is here right now. That is love. And accepting that and and aligning your ideals to that reality is perfect love because now what I am expecting is reality, and that is the love of something. And that's what God was trying to speak, and humans fucked it up by choosing to engage absolutes instead of love. Really, so if that's the case, theology, that's, if, if, if that's the case, bust down systems. then your, your structure of describing absolutes as toxic and nuclear and cancerous, and you're saying that's what the Bible is? Yes. Then for, yeah, then... Then we're in agreement because I'm sick of looking there to find God because it's 
But what if he's we do? It, no. It's too fucked what up if to we find can, him there. What if we can fix it? You have to read the good news translation <laughs> <over> <laughs> because that one is the correct one. <laughs> what if he goes speaking? Thanks for answering that. That helps. What if instead, when you read the Bible, where it says, where it engages in absolute, you do not read it that way. You choose to interpret it as a as you you take a step back from that absolute and say, what does that actually mean in a reality that I can touch and feel? I think that just, that just makes it so I'm writing my own narrative at that point. Yeah. Whatever the fuck my head thinks, no, that's, that's what I'll say. Right. What your heart does, that's that's where spirit moves in, right? So when God says this that, is birthed out of fuck the institutions and the systems, because I, I think in that those absolutes, that system, systematic theology or system, the it was never supposed to be that way. Yeah. No. What if so? Like when God says, "Thou shalt not kill," that's an absolute statement. Well, what if he just said? Murder, by the way. Again, we're <laughs> And that word actually is an absolute statement. <laughs> what if God just meant it's a good ideal to hold up that that death is an absolute that should be avoided? Yeah. And th- mm-hmm. and now can we just engage that in real terms? Can we say death causes things to be fucked up? And can we just yeah, live in all that? The absolute from, things that people wrote down that Jesus said. Yeah, they got it wrong. I think so. I was talking to Misha about this the other day. <clears throat> so are you willing? Hold on. Let's get this on record. Are you willing to say that I am the way, the truth, and the life? No one comes to the Father but by me. Is a wrong, absolute statement of what Jesus was saying. Couldn't it be a metaphor? Yes. No. So 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 again, when I say I believe this, what I mean is I'm engaging this belief. I don't. I. I don't believe I can actually even adopt this 100% within me. I am. I am in. I have put myself in this place and I'm exploring that place because I feel health within this place. But that's an absolute but, statement. Right? But, but, what is that not. statement? No, couldn't it be a metaphor? Break down that statement. What does he mean? No yeah. one comes to the Father. <laughs> Well, where I go with it is, well, is, what is, what is, is it, it sounds like an absolute statement. What if he's yeah. saying nobody comes to the Father except through me, and by me he meant imperfection. Yes. Nobody comes yeah, to the yeah. Father Love except is, through me. Loving the His acceptance is generous. Yes. His acceptance is open. And saying, fuck the system. And, and, and so I <laughs> I go with it, you know, again, like, <laughs> like, like, like the more personal thing, <laughs> exactly. is if there is a God... And if there is such a thing as perfect love, okay, I think God's a better father than me. Mm-hmm. Would I damn one of my kids? Exactly. We had a discussion. If, if I thought, perfect. if they thought the wrong thing about me, if they offended my honor or whatever, I know I'm not holy. Okay, fine. But still, okay, I have to believe God. If God exists, He's got to be a better father than I am, right? And any of you that are fathers, I, I just there's just no fucking way. So let's replace that statement. And replace the name Jesus with the word imperfection. Imperfection is the way. Can we agree with that? <laughs> it is the truth. Can we agree with that? It is reality. And it is life. Imperfection is all those things. Nobody comes to God except through imperfection. I'm just being an asshole now. Yeah. So replace Jesus with Apple. Right? Apple. It doesn't have the same <laughs> It doesn't meaning. hold up, Jack. It doesn't, no, I, I it doesn't hit you in the same place <laughs> in your heart. There's no love that's where I in the iPhone 6. <laughs> that doesn't hit me, though. So. No, I mean, <laughs> you know, that's where I was going to... You know, I said I was going to ask you the exact same question. It's going to turn out different. So it's... I have to want to get to the Father to give a shit. Right. I'm going to go with you also have some weird feeling, some weird inkling of this universe God, Jesus... How do you communicate with those that don't? And I've, I've been struggling with this. So, so you're talking about close relationships. <gasps> yeah. So what you do mm. is what John and I have been talking about. Is you get to the point where you have healed enough of your ego that you begin to see other people's damage as not an offense to yourself because your yeah. ego is so healed that you can't be offended anymore. And you yeah. start to recognize that the reason they are like they are is because their ego is damaged. And because you have learned to heal your own ego, you can reach out to that person and help them begin to heal theirs. Right. Which was what Jesus was. I believe that Jesus was born imperfect, but he was born with a complete ego that God filled. And that was the only difference between him and us. 
And so every person that he looked at, he did not see as an as a threat to him. He saw as a broken ego that he knew how to fix. Yeah. Or even the Pharisees, like a lot of what Jesus did with the Pharisees in in harsh words. I've also seen in recovery groups with a good recovery group leader who is basically uncloaking their ego. Right. Mm. So you get into a room with a bunch of big egos, like this woman, 100 pounds soaking wet, sitting around, you know, a bunch of huge construction worker, you know, freaking cokeheads. Like, that's scary, right? She's like, no. I'm so just taking their ego off. And this is where we I get, see little children. This is where we get into the persona versus the ego. So we are born pure ego. Like Seth said, thing, yeah. we, Seth said, we come into the world and we say, I am what I am, love everything love about me. me. Mm. And the world says, I don't have time for that. Uh, I don't really care that much. I've got too much of my own shit to deal with. I can't actually love all of that. Mm-hmm. And, then we, and then over time, we expose our ego and get hit. We expose our ego and get hit. We expose our ego and get hit until... We develop a persona, and that persona is a shield. And it says, these aspects of my ego are safe to expose, and the rest is not. But within us is this deep desire to find somebody that we can expose our ego for to that will be just comfortable with that. Well, that will look into you and say, I love everything about you. I love how fucked up your ideas are. I, there's nothing you can say that will scare me. There is nothing that you can say that will uh, make me want to challenge your beliefs. There is nothing you can say that, and I, I accept, so that is love. Again, I accept the reality of who you are as a person, and I think it's beautiful. And that's what every person wants to hear deep in their soul. Mm-hmm. So it's always weird talking to you because I don't use the word ego the way that you do. I may have an ego. Ego, the way I see it, is the persona. And who you are is what's underneath. Yeah, so ego, what's the e- word for that? Like the thing underneath? Yeah. yeah. The, the all of you. The it's, it's who you so are. This is your, so this is back to Jung. Because Jung defined ego differently. Because Jung set up the, the archetype. That's where he was called a kook. Yes. So Jung <laughs> so started to you, Jung set up the architect of the persona which was different than the ego and his definition of ego was you as a complete person with all your weaknesses and with all your strengths and not and and the actuality of those things not an archetype not a perception but the actual reality of you you are as a person with all your beliefs and all the fact that all your beliefs don't actually match up and nothing makes logical sense and and you just are and our goal in life, the reason everybody does everything that they do is because they want to get to the point where the entirety of the world accepts who they are, flaws and all. And that is the goal of every individual. Mm-hmm. I see that in my kids lately. Mm-hmm. It's so freaking hard. Because, it, you know, it's, you said about not having time. And it's that I struggle with that because it's just, I see my youngest and he's just... Every once in a while, it's, hey, dad, 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 dad. It's like, ah, oh, what do you want? You know, it's like, and he's right? presenting like, his yeah. ego to you, yeah, wrapped in a package, and you are saying, I don't have any fucking time. <laughs> it's, what it's, about it's, ego? It's, okay, so wait. Okay, here's a millisecond. Yes, love you. And the first thing, it always comes to mind. It's like, heck, what do you want? You know, it's like, oh, what do you want? Nothing. I just wanted to tell you I love you. Right. And it's like, fuck, take the dagger out of your back, out of your heart. It's like, yeah. damn it, like I wish that I wouldn't have presented myself that way. And I did, and that's fine. <laughs> and that is you and damaging your kids, right? <laughs> which came from your parents damaging you, yeah. which came from their parents damaging yeah. them. And it, but it's just, when he gets into that, when he gets into that mode, though, it's like, it, I catch myself now where it's like, yeah, and he's just, I love you. It's like, love you too. Oh, and it's great, you know, but it's, fuck, it's just, what do you want? Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, it's like my five-year-old daughter, the solar system revolves around her eyes, you know? Yeah. I mean, she's just like, <laughs> and like, I love you. And she goes, I know, Daddy. 
Is that the one with the Justin Bieber shirt on? Yes. Oh, dude. I'm glad she's your daughter. Oh, Lord have mercy. Oh, Lord have mercy. What do you want, honey? Yeah, you want a car? Take it. Here's the keys. Well, yeah, she knows. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's funny. But it's not I love you too. It's I know. (laughs) So I wanted to touch on... In, in the nihilism, no, in the nihilism thing. I'll go, go, go ahead. Oh, you got something else. He's got one more. No, well, okay. I'm just, I'm digressing all the way back to the very beginning. Okay. So, Derek, you talked about the imagination, right. the imagined belief. The make-believe. Make-believe, there we go. Right. Uh, Mr. Rogers were. So, he was an interesting person. Yes, he was. Yeah, he was. <clears throat> we went to the uh, Marysville Public Library yesterday for their kickoff for their summer reading program. And they had this guy come in, he's an actor, whatever you want to call him, and he was juggling. And there was a point where he was like, watch, I can actually take one of these balls, put a string on the other one, and move it. And he's juggling two balls with one hand, and taking the third and keeping the same distance between one of the two balls. Now, my first thought was, that's cool, because it's hard to juggle with one hand and two balls. Mm-hmm. But then I let myself slip into that make-believe. And it, if you slowed your brain down enough, it was. That third ball had a string connected to one sure. of the two balls. Right. So it didn't hit me, though, until we get in the car, we're driving home, and my oldest says to me, Dad, yeah, was he a magician? Yeah, he was. That was really cool. And I have no idea what he's talking about. And I was like, I know. The whole damn thing was cool. Because he, he explored <coughs> your imagination. He explored your make-believe. He he was four different people in one story. And at no point during that story did I think that when he put on the hat, turned it around backwards, that he was the other three. He was always whoever that person was. And Kane brings up the... How did he tie the string without me watching? Mm-hmm. I was like, well, that's that's the make believe, son. You know, that's the magician. That's the magic in it. It's the same thing with great <clears throat> actors. Great actors aren't acting. Great actors have thrown off all of their beliefs mm-hmm. and taken on they, and cleaned themselves as a slate, like absolutely clean and taken on all the beliefs of that character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where I was going with this though is the. The God is through Jesus doing that for us. Mm. I know the Bible's littered with just some bullshit that doesn't make sense. I have no fucking idea how to make sense of it. But there's just something about God coming down to us and showing us some weird form of perfect love. Now it's presented in an imperfect way. Mm-hmm. And that's and ever since I've read Freddie Manning's, was it Ragging Muffin Gospel? Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, fuck, I threw the damn book across the room like 9,000 times through the first two chapters. <laughs> it's like, no, somebody can't, nothing can love me. Yeah. I have all this stuff. I've done all these things. Um, yeah, the but thing, God loves us that way. Well, the thing he jumped, that jumped out of me when I read that was that God loves you as you are, not as you should be, because ain't nobody where they should be. Yeah. God still loves you. And that, that for me, was hard to accept. I had to read it like nine times. Yeah. yeah. I, ha- I kept feeling like I had to attain a level. And that's where I get into worship. I wrote this down because I think, and I heard, again, a philosophy professor talking about this who wasn't a Christian, but was talking about the concept of worship. Like you will, like that idea, whatever you want to call it, Christianity, whatever you want to, category you want to put it in, people show up for a, at a church or a temple or something to celebrate that is better than somebody going, there's nothing, I'm going to worship my job, or I'm going to worship my spouse, or even my kids. Because whatever we worship, to use that word, and you could replace that with something else, but for semantics reasons, I think it's the best word. Like there's something to... You know, psychologists use the word idolatry. Psychologists use that word? Oh, yeah. When it comes to alcoholism 
or other <coughs> you can break it down into a philosophical level with someone hmm. because it's a good way to understand something that's bigger that you're investing and that you're sacrificing your life for the word sacrifice comes to mind in worship everyone is worshiping and I guess that's where I have a, a hard time with the nihilism portion is that God doesn't exist nothing matters well, you should have a hard time with nihilism. It's an absolute <laughs> statement. <laughs> That's where I split from. <laughs> He's not a nihilist anymore. No, I'm not. not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess that's where I went with it, too, is just understanding what I worshipped through my life. And I think I just... It wasn't that I worshipped nihilism. I guess you could say I did. Um, I just wanted to live my life like a bottle rocket, I guess. And, and and a lot of people say that, and now I'm 49. I'm going. That's called hedonism, not nihilism. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Now I'm more of a Christian hedonist, not in the John Piper kind of. Yeah, way. I was gonna say. I was gonna gag a little bit, like, uh, right? Like John Piper. Oh. More than half over. It feels good because I'm not afraid of death. I I kind of, in a weird way, embrace it. One of my. It's beautiful. One of my favorite lines from. C.S. Lewis in the uh, Narnia series is when Reepicheep is about to die, and he said, and one of the kids say, "Aren't you afraid of death?" He says, "Oh, death! Death will be a great adventure." Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And that's something that I like. I don't know. Is there nothing? Maybe that's a great adventure too. Like I get to find out. Is there nothing? Is there everything? Am I going to fucking hell? Like that is a one. That's the ultimate adventure is death because we have no idea what's on the other side and we're about to find out. But if there's nothing, you don't. You just die. Right. Where's the fun of that? Come on. But at least I can be. At least which, I can come back as a butterfly. Which, which or actually, a, that lion or something. Not much shit. to fear. Well, but that's That's actually palpable for me to be yeah. honest with you. If, yeah. If you have the understanding of the nothingness, then then why do people why do people greet death? Why are they sad? Why are they Exactly. Yeah, separation of relationships. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that that's for me. Any... Okay. I don't know. The... Wait, what you say? Because, because we separation value of relationship. relationship. Um, no, it's because we value life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, why do we value life? So if there's so no God. Get... Why would we give a shit? Hold Somebody on. died. Hold on. Just put what? them out with the garbage, like I do my chickens. <laughs> or the Let me explain. When my chickens dies. It's like, uh Let me explain on. why I'm saying that. You don't feel it as acutely when an 85-year-old dies. Right. But when someone's 8-year-old dies, oh gosh. The reason you feel so wounded even for an 8-year-old you don't even know is because there's something in us that says their life was too short. They didn't dare to experience it. We value life. It's evolutionary built into us. And we're conscious enough to say that the tragedy of an eight-year-old versus an 80-year-old dying is monumentally larger. I think it's because, again, it's not us engaging with reality. It's us engaging with concepts, again, which is a human idea. Animals don't engage in concepts. And the concept we're engaging with is potential, yeah. which is what Arthur is touching right. on. Potential. Right. Is, by the way, that example is a great reason to prove that even Christians struggle with that. Oh, sure. Because Christians who say, my seven-year-old said the prayer and I believe they're a Christian and they're going to heaven, they still grieve more for the eight-year-old than the 80-year-old. And the reason is, is that they don't really believe what they say they believe. Deep down, they wanted that life to go on. That whole better place bullshit, they don't really believe. Otherwise, they wouldn't feel worse. Can I address that again? So there's no such thing as really believe. Hmm. You there's there's only we're only dealing in scale again. There's there you okay, can, then, but but really it's on the high end of the scale. Fine, it's on a scale. It's the high end of the scale. Yeah. At the end of the day, if if you highly believe that they're in a better place, you wouldn't feel that grief difference. That differential between an eighty and an eight year old is enormous. Everybody's experience. You it. would still feel it. You would still feel it. I felt it when my mom was 75 and, then, and she passed away. And that shook me to the core. And maybe it had something to do with it. Yeah, but why is it? I'm talking about the difference of like, 
If someone that you know kind of in your church is 80 and someone you know kind of in your church is 8, you feel <coughs> different about the 8-year-old. So, so again, yeah, what is the we're difference? engaging the, the issue that you don't believe something the same from one second to another. You can take on beliefs, and that's a function of time. So I'm talking to the people though who think they believe that is an absolute truth. Right, and that's bullshit. Yeah, I, I feel my mom. I'm, I'm, I'm making your case for <laughs> okay. you. Don't argue yeah. against it. I feel my mom. I'm making your more... case. They don't absolutely believe they're in a better place. <laughs> right, and, I, I and, feel... and they may actually in that moment, 99% believe they're not in a better place. My in that mom... moment, they may be struggling because for a couple of seconds, they are 99.99% atheists. Maybe you're a Calvinist and the baby wasn't baptized and it wasn't a covenant <laughs> child. My mom did not, my mom had incredible potential. <laughs> I think that's where I grieve. A big part of my mom's death, my grieving her potential. And she was such an intelligent, beautiful person. And she really loved people. And it's almost like one of those weird things where I thought she could have been bigger with that. And she just was who she was. And then dementia ate her up from the inside out and seeing that potential just you know die like a grape on the vine that that was hard and then to to have the 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 relaxation that she's at peace and not feeling this craziness that was going on in her head and her emotions If, if if you believe that why does it still hit you so strongly he, because I think that death is not part of the real construct of spirit. I think that if we live in a spiritual construct, death is always going to be something that is to be grieved. Especially if you know someone personally, like you were saying. Like you're not the guy at church who's 80, you're probably not going to go, oh, well, Bob died. It's like, fuck, about time. <laughs> the other thing we got <laughs> smoked for 35 years. You know, I'm joking, but. Um, you see what I'm saying? Like I think that it's spiritually in a, in a spiritual construct. If this spirit reality is in all of us and lives in all of us, then death is part of the fucked upness of this this place. This is part of the broken. Does that explain it all? It doesn't explain it all. It explains that part. But does it have to explain it all? Well, I meant for him personally. No, it doesn't well, explain it all. But it, it it kind of makes sense to me in a spiritual kind of way. Why do <laughs> you feel what you feel? Now why I I understand why death is somehow <clears throat> not part of the construct. It is part of the construct, but it's not. It's outside the system. It's outside. It's punk rock. It's outside of the reality of everything we experience. A little bit of isn't that like. Primarily, what we experience isn't that what being a mammal on planet Earth is all about fighting against? No, because I didn't give a fuck and I embraced death, and I still do. But I'm not seeking just after. not for your mom. No, she's just you know she passed away, and that's sad. But I think that in the grand scheme of things, and maybe this is the mystic in me, experiencing her death has me feeling this understanding that. There's something past this life. I take it more like Einstein my, said my, Your energy is not going to just go away. My grandmother died in her 80s. I cried like a baby. And if I told any of you guys, yeah, my grandma died. She was 84 or whatever. Okay, John, I'm sorry. That sucks, man. But no, you don't understand. My grandma right. died. And like, I, you know. Yeah. And, I, and if I'm honest, it's because I loved her. Mm-hmm. And I, my life is better with her here than not. Mm-hmm. And there's a void there without her here. I don't know how much I can really point to any kind of eternal significance with that. It's just, it's just that void of grief, and that's where I interact with it. Yeah, more. it's like because that, that, that's what you experience it. That's the experience <coughs> of faith that I'm talking about. What if it is because <coughs> the people that that hurts you? Sorry, I got something in my throat. <coughs> that person, your grandmother. Mm-hmm. Engaged your ego in a way nobody else did. Sure. And that is now missing. Because you want to just find somebody 
that sees you for you really who you really are and nobody sees you for who you really are in the same way that your grandmother did well i shared that with you guys actually very personally is if i ever had an experience of unconditional love it was probably my grandmother's i mean i love my wife my wife's amazing god she's awesome but I actually would argue that most marital relationships are conditional. There's something you can do that would make your spouse yeah. to stop love you. Yeah. My grandma, I could have been like Jason Voorhees and she still would have loved me. It was just like, yeah. I, that would have really put it to the test. And now that source <laughs> of love is, is, is gone. gone. Right. I argue that particular point, but I understand what you're talking about. I lived in the absolute portion of the, if you do, if you cheat on me, I will not love you anymore. Mm. You, this is the one thing that if you do, we will not be married anymore. Mm. When I found out that my ex-wife was cheating on me, there was nothing I could do to remove that love from her still. I, it was not over in my eyes. My, my, wife, my wife says the same thing. Or fighting for something, that, the comfortableness, the not changing, whatever it was. It wasn't, that wasn't my first thought. I could care less. Mm. And it was weird. It, I mean, it hit me hard. Mm -hmm. The fact that I was still willing to love this person. And that's where I guess I, my <laughs> definition of love is weird because it's, <clears throat> it's a choice that I make. You know, it's the, you hear all the time, I fell out of love with you. No, that's lust. In my eyes. You know, it's like, oh, you don't lust after me. Affection. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there. My brain doesn't ultimate, like when I say that, like I don't automatically go to an infidelity scenario as much as I go to like a, you know, you hurt my kids maybe Correct. scenario. Like that's, I mean, if, if we're talking about gradations of, of trauma, that's, you know, hurting my kids is probably greater. Yeah. I don't know. But you, uh, well, I, I think I appreciate what you're saying. So I hear you saying is you don't know until you're there. And, Correct. Yeah. And it's and I, I agree with portions of your statement. Mm -hmm. it's, you in marriage, right. you can do something for it to be over. You yeah. Know, the condition of love. Well, there is a condition to the love. Sure. Um, but I think it's a lot greater than. Well, it from my understanding of love, I choose to love you, and there is a. Yeah, it's just, it hit me hard. I'm still working with it. No, man, yeah, um, that's cool. But yeah. it's just, it's weird, though, because you have these absolutes, and then, well, they come to light, and they're not absolutes anymore. It's like, wait a second. I, I said for fucking years, if you cheat on me, it's just over. I'm going to fucking pack bags and go or kick your ass out. It's, kind of, a, it's kind of a sidebar, but um, <clears throat> Seth Taylor was on Zach Gandara's podcast, and they had an interesting conversation about marriage, which is fascinating to me. And Arthur and I have talked about it before, even. And like, when you get married within maybe the context of a church setting, and you're in your early 20s, and you make these vows to someone, and you're a kid, you don't know what the fuck life has for you. You don't know who the fuck this person is. You don't know who you're going to be in 10 years, 20 years. But you make these vows to death, do us part, you know, eternal, whatever. And maybe, just maybe through the course of your marriage, you deconstruct your faith, you lose your faith. In the church, the faith isn't the glue holding you together anymore. What do we got? Yeah. Oh, we just got each other. Is that enough? I think that's where my wife and I got to. So I, and this will blow out some people, I was a, a serial adulterer, and my wife would have said the same thing. And she has, and she's told her friends. And that was a hard thing, like with the church we used to go to. But I'm back at now because I feel like, in their imperfection, to use that word, they were still family. Mm -hmm. Well, that's we, what family is, right? Yeah. But when my wife, so I confessed all of my shit. So sexual addiction, <clears throat> sexual compulsive behavior, um, intimacy disorder, however you want to flag it. Uh, that's what I what I was my big thing after my chemical romances, um, and I was unfaithful to my wife, and I had to confess that to her, and that was really difficult for her. I so and Paul Young said this, and this is really true about how I look back at my healing. To use that word, I had a lot of shit that I hadn't dealt with, and she was a collateral damage in that. 
Mm. And it wasn't fair, and it wasn't right to her. Mm. But I think somewhere in there, the concept of love, and maybe that was that fucked up Christian love, like I'll, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to tell her, I really didn't. I thought that if I did, she'd be divorced me. But I needed her to know this is who she was married to. All my damage, all my flaws. Because that's part of your ego. Abuse. It's not just my ego, it was my history. Right. I think I think that day I put that ego to death because the ego said, "Oh no, we can keep this facade going, dude." No, well, and then, then you birth a new ego that says that okay, we can put we can put that to bed. You know, we can get rid of this yeah, ego. Yeah, and yeah. And they create this one, fix you. Oh yeah, and then sure that and was in my head. Know. So that's the persona. No, I even even with her that's knowing, I think that some part of my ego said, "Well, if you do get divorced, then you can do this or do that or whatever." All these voices in my head. But ultimately, the love part, the love component in that was total acceptance outside the system. Because um, I was still very Christian. And then going to Marseille, it was cool that she kind of stepped out of the church thing. And it was almost like her saying, are you still going to love me? Mm. Even though I don't go to church and I don't. Not that she's an atheist. Like, she still loves God and praise and but she's not a bible person i love my wife she's very you know she loves people she's got a very good loving heart towards people and that has nothing to do with whether she goes to church or not right yeah it's funny you bring that up because the and you may have experienced this as a you being steve so steve and i uh grew up in a very similar Christian Missionary Alliance Church, um, and that's unacceptable to not go to church. Mm. You know, it's no, you have to go to church. How else are you going to be saved? How else are you going to be forgiven? How else are you going to be whatever? Fucking insert bullshit here. Right. I'm <clears throat> nothing against the pastor that was in the church. And, but it was just that's the bullshit you feed you. Yeah. But that sticks, man. That yeah, sticks. It's, and, it's, and that's one of the the quote core beliefs that I've had that I've been rattling. It's like, wait a second, fucking current pyramid didn't fall down when I have been moving this or changing where it belongs. And it's like, why does this have to live here? Why does right. it even have to live? You know, why why does somebody have to go to church? To be saved, or whatever it is, insert bullshit here. What is saved? That's a whole other podcast <laughs> right there. Well, and it's Arthur. You've said that too. You know, your your one question you'll have is, "What are you saved from?" Yeah, that's a great question. So what I, what I think we should close on is something that somebody said. We listened to this podcast. I had a friend who go unnamed, but they listened to this podcast and said, "Oh." It's like you have your, that's a cool support group you got going on. <laughs> and I thought that was really interesting that they used that language because of what you just said about, about the, the church. And, and the church is not an institution. No. It's not a fucking system. This is right here. It is people. That's yeah. right. The people, without the people, the system <clears throat> collapses on itself. It's nothing without. It's like your smartphone. If you take a smartphone, a smartphone's a great tool. If we don't have a person running it, it's just a brick. It sits there and does nothing. That's the same with every system and every institution in the world. That's why I'm a passionate punk theologist. Because, yeah, this is a motherfucking support group. And if you've got the balls to be fucking known in this world... That's what we're doing here is maybe encouraging people to be known, known with your nihilism, known with your atheism, known with your flaws, known with your questioning. Just fucking do it. Be known. That's out. Is that a mic drop?